Starcourt Study Hall episodes contain spoilers for all seasons of Stranger Things. Episodes may also contain graphic content and language not suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The views and opinions expressed are those of the hosts unless otherwise stated, and all content and characters are property of Netflix and the Duffer Brothers. I'm Amanda. I'm Marina. And And this this is Starcourt Study Hall. Good morning, Stranger Things people. Good morning, Sleepyhead. Oh, God. (laughs) Well, well. (laughs) Well, well. Um, Not that it's morning where everybody is, but it's morning where we are. So good morning. I hope over your your coffee or your morning beverage, whatever it may be, you are ready to talk about MKUltra because that's what we're talking about today. Me and MKUltra go way back. Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We we are good friends. Oh. So the reason that we want to talk about MKUltra in relation to Stranger Things, I think is pretty obvious if you've watched the show, right? Yeah. You don't get a lot of MKUltra outside of season one, but it is a pretty big part of season one of Stranger Things. So we are going to do our first Just the Facts episode. And these are going to be episodes where we, we pick a historical component from the show And we dissect it and we research it and we talk about it. And then we relate it back, obviously, to the show. So our first Just the Facts is going to be on the fascinating and mysterious Project MKUltra. So right off of the the bat here, I want to just talk about, I'm not going to read all of them, but I want to read some of our sources and we will put them in the Google Doc. Yes. Two books, A Question of Torture, CIA Interrogation from the Cold War to the War on Terror by Alfred W. McCoy, and Poisoner-in-Chief, Sidney Gottlieb and the CIA Search for for the Mind by Stephen Kinzer. So two books. And then I have a slew of articles. Um, I'm not going to read to you the names of the articles, but I'll read the the actual, like, sources. So McGill University, a couple of independent student newspapers, the McGill Daily, um, another one, the McGill Tribune. We have something from the NSA archive, which is the actual QBARC manual. It is an overview of the manual. We have a couple of articles from just goodoldhistory.com, NPR, and that's pretty much it. So we have a lot of sources, and we will link them in our Google Doc. Because we are scholarly people. Yes. We understand that people do a lot of hard work on their they research. Do. Yes. And Wikipedia is tempting, but... It sure I, is. I can't in good conscience quote Wikipedia. It just doesn't <laughs> feel right to me. Okay. So let's do a little bit of an overview before we really get into this this absolutely wild thing I'm called MK Ultra. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So as I mentioned already, this information that we're about to give you is from a slew of different sources and all of it will be cited. Um, just a caveat though. It is very difficult to find scholarly sources about MK Ultra because all of the actual records about the project were destroyed in 1973. How convenient. Good good stuff. Good stuff. (laughs) Um, However, some information was actually recovered in 1977 upon the discovery of more records, like the ones that Hopper keeps in his cabin floor hole, holy floor. There were also (laughs) Senate hearings that took place and interviews with CIA employees revealed a lot of info that we know today. So thank you, CIA employees, for spilling the beans. Or as the kids say nowadays, the tea. It's no longer the beans. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, in general mk ultra is 
or I suppose was, depending on which school of thought you subscribe to, was a CIA-sanctioned and funded project from the 1950s. There's anything I want you to take away from that sentence. It is CIA sanctioned and funded. Mm -hmm. Yes. And these experiments, which I will get into, took place all over the world and many were covertly funded to take place at colleges and universities. Some of the colleges and universities or institutions involved were Stanford and John Hopkins. I think we're meant to understand that Hawkins Lab was a like a designated experiment site for these experiments and that Brenner was heading up the studies. That, that yeah. seems correct, right? Yeah, I think that's what we're meant to believe. That totally really took place, right? Brenner was real and he was... Oh, yeah. Okay, oh, yeah. I just... Thank you. I need to he know that this is real. Okay. <laughs> In addition to institutions like Stanford and John Hopkins... These studies were also taking place at prisons and detention centers, so you can probably, like, see how consent and ethics became a major issue, mm -hmm. especially for marginalized communities. Um, just as an example, there, were, there was a large amount of experimentation done at the Addiction Research Center in Kentucky. This is real. This is not Stranger Things, everybody. This is real. And this research center was more like a prison, and most of the inmates or patients were African-American. And these prisoners or patients were already drug users, and these studies involved drugs. So these people were essentially treated as guinea pigs in a disgusting violation of human rights. So mm -hmm. this is not good stuff. Many of the doctors and scientists involved claimed to not know that their studies were CIA funded. And this included a couple of our key players, one of which is Dr. Ewan Cameron, and we're going to hear more about him. But it's like, you know, even if it's not CIA funded, really? We're going to say like, oh, well, you know, it's all good because it's not CIA funded. You what? still participated. Right. You still did it. So what? Who cares? Like, <laughs> where are these people's moral compasses? Yes. Like, you shouldn't need the CIA to tell you whether it's right or wrong. Come no. on now. No, no, no. I digress. Um, yeah. So point, point taken there. I don't really care where you're getting your money. If you're engaging in unethical human rights violations, it, it really doesn't matter to me where you're funded from. Yep. Okay. So now we're going to do something kind of fun. I, I took real life timeline and i merged it with our stranger things timeline mm. so we're gonna look at the timeline of mk ultra when it started when it ended and in the middle of all that we've tied in our stranger things timeline okay so our first year in this timeline is 1950 amanda has a train <laughs> in my house in apparently house. <laughs> i hope that picks up on the recording this seems like too. ominous <laughs> that was so scary <laughs> sorry about that anyway so 1950 that's where that's our first year on our timeline and this is the year that the korean war started and this was a war between north and south korea china and the soviet union were allied with north korea and the u.s and the u.n were allied with south korea so you're probably asking yourself, why is this relevant? What does the Korean War have to do with MKUltra? And better yet, what does the Korean War have to do with Stranger Things? Well, MKUltra Subproject 86, which was actually the formal name, was launched because Americans who were held captive by China and the Soviet Union during the Korean War allegedly seemed brainwashed upon returning to the United States. The claim was that the prisoners of war had been fed communist ideology— and they were returning to the U.S., quote-unquote, disillusioned. And the CIA was like, uh, how is China brainwashing these prisoners of war? 
what are their methods? Their curiosity was was quite piqued, and they were trying to figure out if the brainwashing, the, su- the supposed brainwashing, was a result of interrogation techniques. Yes, which is interesting because we see in Stranger Things 4 that interrogation is kind of a big theme, um, interrogation and torture. Yeah. We, see, we see both of those things happen, and actually we see government-sanctioned torture happen. We do, and on, on, and we will talk about this, but it's on parts. It's it's on both sides of the of the fence here. We see Russian government sanctioned torture, and we see American government sanctioned mm-hmm. torture in season four. Yep. Um. So this brainwashing issue that the CIA was fearful of was really kind of brought on by the CIA director at the time, and his name was Alan Dulles, and he called this brain warfare and this became national paranoia which is also interesting i think because you know this was happening in the 50s um and people started to become really paranoid about it but we see in season one of stranger things that by 1983 when hopper brings up mk ultra mm-hmm. to to powell powell acts like it, this is some tinfoil hat wearing nonsense <laughs> yeah. like he he just acts like oh you're being a conspiracy theorist come on now so it's it's very interesting to see how it went from kind of this national paranoia to like basically the whole narrative around it changed yeah So 1951 now, we have our first key player, and talks of the study began with the appointment of Sidney Gottlieb to the CIA. So at this point, Project Bluebird and, you know, Project Artichoke, Project Spinach and Artichoke Dip, (laughs) (laughs) sorry, was they were already underway. And these were the precursors to MKUltra. Feel free to do a deep dive into Bluebird and Artichoke. Did you say deep dive? Oh, no. I said deep dive. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. I, I didn't say that. <laughs> um, so Gottlieb was brought in for a more scientific approach <laughs> to Project Artichoke. I just want to point out the notes just say artichoke. Just artichoke. <laughs> um, yeah, scientific approach to artichokes. But, but Gottlieb, he was a chemist, and he was convinced that LSD could be weaponized and used to change people's personalities and make them susceptible to confessions. And then in 1953, the Korean War ends, okay? So the Korean War started in 1950, ended by 1953, and in the middle of that, we have the appointment of Sidney Gottlieb and his LSD-obsessedness to the CIA. Then in 1956, so some years have passed, we have Dr. Ewan Cameron, and Cameron was the director of the Allen Memorial Institute, which was located in Quebec, and it was McGill University's healthcare center at the time, okay? So just some background on good old Ewan. His psychological and scientific goal was to determine the cause of mental illnesses and to develop cures for them. That would be so nice. It would be so nice, but just I don't know why I feel like this just didn't work. Right? I just a thought. I don't think it worked. I don't think. Spoiler alert: This did not work. <laughs> no, okay. Did not. Yeah, Cameron's approach to curing mental illness just it just simply did not work. Shame. So, according to the McGill Tribune, Cameron believed that the manifestation of mental illness, this is a quote, specifically schizophrenia, was the result of repeated patterns of socially unhealthy behavior in patients. And he concluded that it could be cured by de-patterning these unsound habits. Yikes. He legitimately wanted to de-pattern the human brain and then 
repattern it. Needless to say, um, Gottlieb, our LSD boy, was attracted to Cameron's work, so the CIA funded his studies. All good things. And then in 1957, after all this, MKUltra Project 86 formally begins. Which brings us to our first year, I guess, that we really get a glimpse of in Stranger Things, which is 1959. And that is when Henry, Henry Creel, is 12 years old and he is taken by Brenner after the attempted murder of his family. Now, you know, this could be a whole another episode on kind (laughs) of what the relationship between Henry and Brenner is, how that came about. But for the sake of this, we'll just say Mm -hmm. Henry was taken by Brenner. So MK yeah, Ultra, I think he was taken. Yeah, MK Ultra experiments were already underway for two years at this point in real life, so it's it's kind of safe to conclude that there might be a connection here between Henry, MK Ultra, Brenner, all of this. Now, in 1961, this would probably be around the time that Number Two would be born in Stranger Things. Um, he looks to be about ten years older than L in 1979, and L is going to be eight years old at that time so it would make him around 18 when he died in the mass in the massacre okay this kid is like what 18 years old and he's like bullying an eight-year-old child the only thing that i can chalk that up to is the the environment that they are kept in because they are they are fighting for papa's affection and attention and any of the other ones getting that affection and attention is a threat yeah makes sense so on, a, on another note, we know that Brenner is both acquiring and making gifted children, right? I mean, that's what we're led to believe in season four. So we know that Callie is acquired as well as Henry because we see um, newspaper articles about Callie going missing, mm-hmm. which is in how... In London, right? Yes, in London, which is how Elle ends up finding her. But Eleven is basically bred to, to have powers, as far as we understand. Yeah. Um, We don't know for sure about the rest of the kids. We don't really know what their origin is. It does kind of feel like the older ones might be acquired. The younger ones might Mm -hmm. be bred. I had noticed that there's quite an age gap. Like, it seems like most of the kids are a year or even less apart, except for 10 and 11. The age gap between numbers 10 and 11 seems to be somewhere around like five-ish years which I thought was kind of interesting. They seem to and have... Yeah, Ten is the one with the magic eight ball, right? Yeah. Okay. So he's yeah. like Brenner's like favorite. It kind of came It off. kind of seems like, yeah. Yeah. yeah so it, it, it seems... I mean, it seems like 11 is significantly younger than 10, mm-hmm. which is not the case for almost all the other pairs of children. So we can, again, get into that in another episode, but... That's kind of interesting. So the point of this is that it seems like Brenner's studies are mostly happening after the original experiments, give or take a few years. So if Brenner acquired Henry in 1959, MKUltra supposedly ended in 1963, then that would be about a four-year overlap. And we know that Brenner is continuing to practice these methods well into the 80s. The only thing I can assume, I guess, at that point is... If we want to, you know, be as literal about this as possible, is that Brenner just kept going, right? Yeah, he he was participating in MK Ultra. He liked the results he was getting, and he just kept mm-hmm. going. Yeah, he just he like for over a decade, which yeah, w- w- that would be my guess um, as to kind of what was going on here, and also two, two, two decades, twenty years. Yeah. Right. Yeah, because he because if it supposedly ended in 1963, he kept going throughout the 70s and 80s. Yeah. Well, 
Not yeah, really no, much yeah. after the massacre, I guess. I mean, there were no infants that we knew of, no. right? No, but there was sensory deprivation, which we will get yes. into. Yeah. Okay, so back to real life. Okay, yes. not that Stranger Things isn't real life. We all accept that, right? We do. So in 1963, that's when MK Ultra ends, right? So this was a this was what? It was 1957 to 1963. So that's really not a large span of time. So what did the CIA do with this information? They conducted all these experiments, recruited all of these institutions to conduct experiments themselves. So what happened with all the research? So a manual was created with this research, and it was called the Cubark Counterintelligence Interrogation Handbook. And this handbook was actually made public in 1997 under the Freedom of Information Act, which is why you can go read all about this, which... Hey, man, if that's what you want to do with your day, (laughs) have fun. Uh, Just a fun little fact here. Cubark, spelled K-U-B-A-R-K, is a CIA codename for itself. (laughs) (laughs) It's a cute little nickname. There you go. Um, The section of the Cubark on sensory deprivation, which we, we we all know about that, right? Yeah. Suggests imprisoning detainees in rooms without sensory stimuli of any kind in a cell which has no light. Can we think of any cells that have no light in Stranger Things? Yeah, I can definitely think of at least one. Now we know that, I mean, not that we didn't have an inkling, but now we know for sure that uh, Brenner locking Elle in her little chamber cell yes uh that is definitely a torture method so that was not only being used as like a punishment but also kind of a torture method to get brenner to get them to do what he wanted basically Mm -hmm. so there's also the suggestion of using uh water tanks or an iron lung for for the use of sensory deprivation so we got nina Nina, our our sensory deprivation tank, and of course the the sensory deprivation tank in season one, of course, that brings us the lovely Mothergate. Yes. Um, and yeah, so sensory deprivation is considered a, a, a torture method. It it just depends on how it's being used, I suppose. Right, because in there, context. Yeah, because there are people who pay to go and float mm-hmm. in sensory deprivation tanks. Couldn't be me. Could never be me. But <laughs> sure. I might do it. I don't know. It sounds very scary to me, but... Yeah, so the, the, those methods are also obviously used in Stranger Things, both as torture methods and not. Also, if you've not seen what an iron lung looks like, you should Google it. It's, at your own risk. Yeah, Google at your, Google at your mm-hmm. own risk. It's, it's very <laughs> disturbing. Yeah. And I think what's interesting about the Q-Bark and Papa's cell is that in, in, my, in my head here, this, this manual was published in 1963, and we kind of see... Brenner using the methods from the Q-Bark in whatever year, I guess 1983, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it almost seems like he's using this manual as like his uh, his MO. Like, yeah. he's just kind of using it as a literal manual for how to operate. Right. So the other thing that I want to point out is it's really interesting to me how the whole onset of MK Ultra started as a defensive tactic, right? It was, we, we need to defend our prisoners of war and our country against brainwashing methods from countries like the Soviet Union and China, right? Supposed brainwashing methods. So this this whole operation started as a defensive tactic. Yes. And then it eventually morphs into an offensive tactic. Like next thing you know, we're developing an interrogation manual based on the results of these studies. So it was just an interesting flip-flop from defensive to offensive. Mm-hmm. 
So we're back in the Stranger Things universe. It is 1971. <laughs> I never left. Me either. <laughs> That's where I live. So uh, in 1971, Eleven is born. And from what we understand... Happy birthday. <laughs> what we understand, Elle is born to Terry in 1971 and immediately taken by Brenner. Almost like he already knew that she would be gifted, which... Yeah, what's I'm, that about? Yeah, that's that's a pretty major question that I definitely have. Like, did he know? Did Has this been done before? That's the question. So, yeah, lots of questions, but our understanding is that because Terry participated in the MK Ultra studies while she was pregnant, Elle is born gifted. I mean, it seems like that's what we're led to believe happened. Mm-hmm. Jury is still out on if that's actually what happened. Hopefully we find out for sure in season five, but that's kind of what we're led to believe right now. So this is kind of like a rabbit hole in and of itself, but MK Ultra did involve a lot of drug-induced sleep. Like, yes. like people would be sleeping for like a, like a week. Um, yeah, like days. Very long. So it, it does make us question if Brenner may have somehow impregnated Terry during one of these sleep tests, mm. which would explain how she didn't know she was pregnant. Now, mm. that carries some really, really heavy implications, of course. But, you know, it's definitely a thought that we have to put out there because we still don't really know for sure um, what happened here. And also, if Brenner knew this method, which is to impregnate study participants like Terry because the children would turn out to be gifted, mm-hmm. where are the other women? I mean, I know in, <laughs> yeah. in season... There's like a picture, right? Yeah. In season one, when they're reading the newspapers, it, like, they do mention some other people who have come <clears> forward to like make claims against Hawkins National Lab, but they never specify exactly what it is that they're making claims about. Yeah. Um, like there's no other woman out there yelling, they took my baby, you know? No. And, but it's, it is interesting. Cause like in my research for this, this episode, I did come across the fact that many victims quote unquote of the studies, those who maybe didn't consent or did offer consent, but had long lasting issues because of the studies they did start coming forward in the late 80s. Okay. So I'm almost wondering, I mean, I don't know how far this time jump is going to be between season four and five, but I almost wonder if maybe we get some coming forward or a greater national revelation. Ooh. Yeah, I have oh. that thought. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, my guess is that we're going to get like 1989 maybe. That That's would a big be- jump. It is a big jump. Hawkins would be completely in the hole. I know. So I don't know. We'll see. But yeah, that would be a really interesting turn of events. Yeah, I just had that thought. Okay, so let's talk about some methods. Oh, boy. Um, I, <laughs> I don't know. I, this, is, this, is, this is tough stuff to listen to. So just kind of go into this with that understanding that this is disturbing. So some methods. And these are, these are Cameron's methods. Okay, so this is, this is Dr. Ewan Cameron's method for the de-patterning and re-patterning process. So first, the de-patterning. The point of Cameron's de-patterning was to break down a patient's personality and then rebuild it. He believed that this could be a cure for mental illness, as we said, right? Seems legit. First, patients would be put into a drug-induced sleep for days on end that we mentioned. So these people would sleep for like over a week. 
Okay. Um, and they would use drug called barbiturates and LSD. That's how they accomplished these drug-induced sleeps. I guess we can say coma. I mean, a week, that's substantial amount of yeah. time, right? So barbiturates depress the central nervous system. And I also just want to give a quick shout out again to, and we're going to talk about it later, but Jefferson Airplane's White Rabbit used in chapter one because LSD, you know, like it's just, mm -hmm. LSD is here in this series. Nothing is an accident. No. After the sleep cycle was complete, so these patients are like, you know, asleep, for a week, uh, they would then be exposed to massive amounts of electroshock therapy. So this is something we see happen to Terry. Mm -hmm. um, we don't see it until season two, right? But we see the amount of exposure that Terry received when it came to EST or electroshock therapy. And when I say massive amounts, I mean like two to three times per day. Okay, awesome. so they were sleeping for a week and then they were electro electrocuted three to two to three times a day. And this intense level of EST caused disorientation, confusion, and it disrupted learned habits like eating and bladder control. Oof. Yeah. R.I.P. to Terry's entire brain. I can see why she's just 450 rainbow sunflower. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just... It's so sad. It is. And then once all of this was done, Cameron considered these patients to be depatterned. Great. Um, <laughs> Great. <laughs> Wonderful. Fantastic. Perfect. Yeah. Just what I wanted. <laughs> Like, it it sounds more like he was like, okay, we're going to just Windex their entire brain mm. off, you know, like just, just wipe it clean and start over. Yes. I yes. mean, it's this is not like defragmenting a hard drive, man. No. It's not what's no. happening here. But yeah, anyway. So after the patients would be depatterned, it was time to repattern. It's very important. It is. I mean, pff, needs a pattern. Now that they're zombies. Yes. So, yeah, these patients had pretty fried brains, which, of course, we see in, in Terry Ives. Time to repattern them. So some of the methods Cameron allegedly achieved the repatterning by were replaying audio recordings over and over to reinforce positive messaging. So that's very reminiscent of, like, brainwashing that you see in movies and tv just, yes just playing messages at them he would essentially paralyze them with more drugs and more then drugs ugh, like my god like they need that and then replay the same audio hundreds of times like literal hundreds of times and yeah like i said that's that's pretty much the brainwashing that we see on tv and stuff and this is what they were really really doing to people which i mean at the point that, like, maybe they were able to give their consent when they started this study, but once their brains are fried, it's kind of hard for the... Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, like, you know, continued consent is also important, and mm -hmm. at this point, there's no way these people could have been consenting to what they were um, exposed to. So this is, again, a major human rights violation. Yeah, and I think it's worth noting, too, that there were some consenting individuals, but there were also a lot of non-consenting individuals like i had mentioned the people in the detention centers like those weren't necessarily consenting individuals so th the consent involved in this entire experiment is is a is a mixed bag it's yeah. just like some people consented but it was also a matter of omitting information so maybe they consented to one thing but then what actually occurred wasn't what they consented to. it's it was very very bad yes yes and this is a reminder that consent is ongoing and enthusiastic and freely given yes. always so now that we've talked about the, the the historical piece of this and the some of the methods involved we're gonna we're gonna fast forward to modern day okay so mk ultra although long over has still maintained its relevance in pop culture if i have any 
any rabbit holers, conspiracy theorists, tinfoil hat wearers, <laughs> you probably know this stuff. It's just my favorite thing. I just love it. Okay. <laughs> it is at the crux. Sorry. I am weird. It is at the crux of many conspiracy theories, MK Ultra, um, mostly in relation to the Illuminati, which I'm just like, I just love it. Marina just is love the Illuminati. Is our Illuminati girl. <laughs> if we're watching like a um like an award show or something and someone's performing, she'll be like pointing out, like, look, look at the Illuminati. colors. Illuminati. This is their initiation. <laughs> Yes, they, that is red now. It was white before. I just love it. I don't know. I I did my um my undergraduate like honors project, and it was like a little bit Illuminati MK Ultra themed. Yes. Anyway, so the general belief is that the MK Ultra studies never actually ended. Yeah. Sounds like a good conspiracy. They were instead adjusted, renamed, and refocused, and the methods are supposedly still being used on major political figures and celebrities. <laughs> no, I just got chills. Okay. Uh, you can all go down that rabbit hole. I don't have six hours of time today, so <laughs> I can't go down that rabbit hole, but you can. But just be wary, like maybe turn on your like virus blocker on your computer or something, <laughs> or I don't know, do iPhones get vi some do something to protect your computer if you're gonna look this stuff up. And just a disclaimer, this is when this research becomes increasingly less scholarly. Okay. <laughs> uh the next few sections are alleged. Yes. I will not be held accountable for this information. This is alleged. I am just a middleman, a messenger, middlewoman person. <laughs> Um, you don't even want to see some of these websites. Yikes. Just be prepared, okay, if you go look it up. So that brings me to monarch programming. Oh, my God, I just love it. Okay, monarch programming. Okay, sorry, stop laughing at me. Okay, this is all alleged. <laughs> Again. <laughs> just please, nobody sue us. <laughs> um, so monarch programming is the sort of modern day take on MKUltra. It refers to... Trauma-based mind control, which is essentially what MK Ultra was, mm -hmm. um, and the main argument is that this is again used on celebrities and political figures for for, for various motives, uh, mostly to further the agenda of the Illuminati and the Freemasons and all that fun stuff. Mm. I think we could agree that the original techniques we discussed, like sensory deprivation, drug-induced comas, electroshock therapy, those are all traumatic, right? So I we can see that. Yeah, the trauma-based mind control. Um, but let's just talk about some other trauma methods. I think that's that works, right? Sure. So we have pa we have pain. Um, we have terror. 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 Yeah, we have sensory overstimulation. So that's the opposite of sensory deprivation, right? Mm -hmm. So loud music, um, flashing lights, things like that. Oxygen deprivation. Where oh, do we see that? We do. We do see that, right? Hopper. Okay. Yes. Um, cold extreme cold extreme heat and spinning i i not do like spin class like <laughs> i was gonna say not like, like the cycle bar like spinning i, I do understand that like and round like in excess that must not be fun no but but like it, it does seem out of place on this list but i do understand why it's here. yeah like think about like being continuously spun in a circle yeah that does it does sound pretty awful and disorienting how disorient yeah like oh for like a long time yeah okay you wouldn't know which way was up or down what your name was your brain would essentially just be scrambled eggs because you'd just be yes. scrambling literally if i play guitar hero for too long the whole world is scrolling so <laughs> there you go i can't even play a video game without dreaming about it um okay so all these methods that we just spoke about, including the spinning, um, 
are meant to cause the person to dis- disassociate. Okay, or, or dissociate. Um, so the reprogramming of their personality can occur. Very in line with what we knew about the original experiment. Okay. So this leads us to a lot of imagery and themes in Stranger Things. So our first mention of MK Ultra, like we said, is in season one, chapter three, Holly Jolly. In chapter three, it's Hopper's first encounter with the information of MK Ultra. He goes to the library with Powell, and that leads him to find out about Terry Ives, um, leads him back to Brenner, and that's kind of his first introduction to all that stuff. In chapter six, uh, the monster, that's when Hop and Joyce go to the Ives' home, and we uh, listen to Aunt Becky, who tells Hopper about terry's involvement with the studies she says they wanted to expand the boundaries of the mind real hippie crap (laughs) (laughs) i can literally hear her saying that yeah same over the years conspiracy theorists have argued that certain themes and imagery are associated with the modern day interpretation of mk ultra it's pretty clear that the duffer brothers are aware of these conspiracy theories and Murray Bauman, of course, is very, yeah. very in tune with any conspiracy theories that exist in the world. And and let's say, like, real talk, I'm, uh, Murray Bauman knows about MKUltra. Like, I just... Oh, 100%. Like, he knows the truth. I know yeah. he does. Um, he 100% does. It was long over by this point. He, he knows. Oh, yeah. He knows. He's he's read the manual. Um, yeah. Don't even try to tell me that the Duffer brothers aren't aware of these things. They've been on those websites. Oh, yes. They're downloading all the stuff. They got it. They know. Yeah. These guys are probably pointing out Illuminati symbolism, too. Oh, my God. <laughs> for sure. All right. So let's start with Monarch as our first symbol of MK Ultra. Okay. And what is a monarch? We're not talking about the, the person who rules a kingdom. Okay. We're talking about a butterfly. So a monarch butterfly. And the reason for this reference in relation to MKUltra, the, the, the reference of a butterfly, is because of the transformation that a butterfly undergoes, a metamorphosis, if you will, okay? So, you know, we have our depatterning and repatterning occurring. It's a transformation. It's a metamorphosis. Um, in general, butterflies are symbolic of birth, resurrection, and transformation. We get the idea, right? So where do we see butterflies in Stranger Things? The first time I noticed butterflies in Stranger Things were actually in season one in Nancy's locker. So you see there's the inside of her locker is covered in butterfly stickers. And you see them first in Holly Jolly when she and Steve are conversing about their their romp. Romp. Yes, that's the word I would use. He even points one, like points to one. Like he like points it out and is like, hmm, hmm. And I'm like, I don't know why you're doing that, but hmm. So our first butterfly reference is Nancy's locker in season one. And I think we can kind of be like, okay, so... Nancy underwent something of a transformation, right? She did. She, like, her and Steve have kind of taken their relationship to the next level. So if we want to look deeper into the symbolism of the butterflies in Nancy's locker, I think we can do that. Um, but I think our, our major butterfly reference comes in season two with with the season's most, be- or the series' most beloved character, right? I'm sorry. Ka- Callie? We like her. The Listen, lost sister? I like Callie, we- okay? Uh, okay. It's her episode that sucks. Okay, listen, I have a I have an appreciation for that episode. I do too. I, I do. It, it I do appreciate it. Yeah. So the, the the major butterfly reference we get is in season two with Callie. Um and it's interesting to me how illusion is kind of used as an MK Ultra torture method, right? Yeah. And it's also Callie's prime way of manipulating her environment. Mm-hmm. So I, I do I do like that. And she shows Ella butterfly as a way to illustrate her abilities. Yes. In the fandom's most treasured episode. Oh, yeah. So treasured. The lost sister. We love it so much. <laughs> she is lost. 
yeah th- when you google stranger things butterfly you you really get the image of callie summoning her blue butterfly to l and you get illustrations of it a lot of people have done artwork of it i think it is kind of a staple and then i just want to give a big shout out to the stranger things wiki for this particular butterfly catch because i did not realize this but if you look incredibly closely you can see billy's mother wearing a butterfly necklace in season three chapter six e pluribus unum during the scene when Elle is in Billy's memory on the beach in California. It is one angle. And I rewound and <laughs> fast forwarded and paused until I could see it. And it is there at 19 minutes, 10 seconds. Wow. That is okay. that is serious. Yes. In season three, chapter six, E Pluribus Unum, Billy's mom is wearing a butterfly necklace. Wow. I can't think of any more butterflies in the series. I can't either off the top of my head, but if there's more, let us know. Yeah, somebody tell us. So another piece of imagery that we get pretty strongly in Stranger Things that is associated with uh, monarch programming is Wizard of Oz. Um, So allegedly, again, allegedly. Allegedly. (laughs) The word of the day is allegedly. So allegedly, there are several (laughs) movies uh, used in monarch programming, and one of those is The Wizard of Oz. So most of us know the song Somewhere Over the Rainbow, the famous song from the 1939 film. This one, I mean, it's, it's a little obvious, but one of the most iconic spaces in Stranger Things, of course, is the Rainbow Room in Hawkins National Lab. And Marina included a, a photo in our notes, and it's just so, I mean, it's so iconic looking. The It is. The set designers and dressers and stuff, like, A plus to you guys, because it is- Of the rainbow room. Yes, it's so creepy. And so, I love the shot, I'm sorry, no, the shot right before the massacre occurs, like, in the opening scene of season four, when you see the kids wheeling the cars along yes. the arc of the rainbow, and they're mm-hmm. crawling on the floor. Yeah, I know. I just got chills. We're I know. It's, okay. it's so creepy. I know. Seriously. So the phrase over the rainbow itself is actually supposed to refer to the dissociation process. So mm. making it over Yucky. the rainbow. Yeah. Yes. And again, thanks to Stranger Things Wiki for this one. But um, And I do. I remember this, actually. Um, in Holly Jolly, when Hopper and Powell and mm-hmm. Cal- Callahan are given permission to go look at at Hawkins Lab, Powell refers to Hawkins Lab as Emerald City. And I, I do realize that there are people who have not seen The Wizard of Oz, um, like my husband. What? I don't know. It's strange, right? He has not seen The Wizard of Oz. That is really so, weird. So, yeah, just for everybody who doesn't know The Wizard of Oz, Emerald City is like the giant green castle in The Wizard of Oz. And where it's, it's like a mystical... The- place yes. like it's After it's a like field of poppies yes where it's they like, all go into comas oh my god it's it's like a fabled place in the movie too yes. like it's it's like people have never seen the inside it's like mm-hmm. very secretive um the so man behind the curtain yes yes yeah. so it's yeah it's very very uh connected yes which brings us to our next film alice in wonderland if you were an emo person in like <laughs> 2005, you were unnecessarily obsessed with Alice in Wonderland. If you owned anything from the brand Loungefly, <laughs> listen up. <laughs> hey, you. It's like Uncle Sam. I want you. you. I want you. Former you emo fly wearers, Betsy Johnson people. Stop. Okay. I'm All being right. We out. are. Okay, so Alice in Wonderland, this movie was released in 1951, which was two years prior to the start of Project 86 MKUltra, right? 
I think I said that backwards. I think it's MK Ultra Project 86, oh. not the other way around. But whatever. What Two years prior to the, the inception of this study, Alice in Wonderland was released as a film. Obviously, the book is a lot older, but it was as a Disney film. Yes. Gigi's Disney. So the first major Alice in Wonderland nod that we get in the series is in Chapter 1, The Vanishing of Will Byers. And similarly to The Wizard of Oz, this movie is used or was used allegedly <laughs> in the brainwashing dissociation process. Yes. Can't imagine why. There's no creepy imagery whatsoever in that movie. No. So in the first chapter of Stranger Things, we hear Jefferson Airplane's White Rabbit play over the radio in Benny's Burgers as Elle is making her escape from Connie and her cronies. Lyrically, the song is one giant Alice in Wonderland reference. Just feel free to Google the lyrics. We hear about one, one bite makes you smaller, one bite makes you larger. It's all Alice in Wonderland. So for those of you who have not seen Alice in Wonderland I don't know, Google a synopsis or something. Some, I don't go watch it. You have Disney Plus. This isn't a plug. Go watch Alice in Wonderland. <laughs> also, this song and Alice in Wonderland in general are historically associated with LSD. Yes. Okay. So the belief is that Lewis Carroll was indulging in LSD when he wrote Alice in Wonderland. So the other place where we get an Alice in Wonderland reference in Stranger Things is in Chapter 6, The Monster. At 20 minutes and 54 seconds, when Becky shows Hop and Joyce what would have been Elle's bedroom, and you can see the photo or a picture, a little illustration of a white rabbit on the wall in her, in her bedroom, in Elle's would-be bedroom. I did have the privilege of reading very few Reddit posts on this topic from years ago. Like, this was, like, season one. Like, these posts dated back to 2016, um, so shout out to our Reddit users, if you are on Reddit. Um, and somebody had pointed out, actually several people had pointed out, Elle coming out of the drainage pipe into Hawkins as a sort of like Alice going down the rabbit hole type yes. of reference. I liked that a lot. I had not thought of that. And then lastly, it is not lost on us that Henry Creel's sister in season four is named Alice. They could have chosen so many names, but yeah. they chose Alice. Any name. Yep. Any name. And I, I'm a strong believer that nothing that's done by the Duffer Brothers is by accident. No, not one thing. I know. Except s- Will's birthday being forgotten. <laughs> okay. <season four. laughs> that's fair. But yeah, I know some people, especially after the birthday incident, um, started to feel very like maybe they're reading too much into it or whatever. I don't think that's true. I, I mean, listen, people make mistakes. It happens. I still think that there's a grand plan here. And I think yes. that everything means something. Okay. We, yes. We both majored in English. Everything means something. I also think, like, the more detail-oriented you are about major things like that, the easier it is to forget tiny little things. Right, right. So, I I do not hold the birthday incident against them at all. No. Happy unbirthday. There you Speaking go. Of oh, my God. See? All on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> it was actually on purpose. So, the final theme, um, or imagery, that we get in Stranger Things pretty heavily that relates back to Project Monarch is torture and interrogation. So we do see this mostly in season four, but it is interesting how this, like it does become become a major theme and MKUltra did originate with the U.S. trying to understand foreign torture and interrogation methods. Mm -hmm. So back to the QBark manual. Uh, we, yes. <laughs> we do see torture being used in season four, both by Russia and the United mm-hmm. States. So Jack Sullivan, our, our government baddie guy, 
by the way, I, his official title. Yeah, I still, government baddie guy. I still actually have no idea like what his job really is. So in season four, we do see Jack Sullivan torture Agent Wallace. He puts him in this like iron box thing that sort of reminds me of like the Chokey from Matilda. Um, oh my god! Yes, right? Like it. Yeah. Yes, that stupid thing. Yes, that, and if you haven't seen Matilda, that's another one you got to go watch. That's an excellent. How was movie. that allowed in that school? Okay, who was right? overseeing? Where was the board of education? No what board is of happening. Ed. Just Miss Trunchable. Yeah, just doing her thing, force feeding children. I was going to say that that was also a torture method. She's force feeding children. But anyway, we digress. So yeah, Jack Sullivan puts him in this iron box thing and puts like heat lamps on him. Yes, the heat. Um, the heat. So that's like it's both sensory deprivation and extreme heat. And then Hop is tortured by the Russian prison guards with that horrible, horrible elephant thing that they put I on I don't him. even know what the name of – I didn't even want to Google what that would Mm-mm. be formal. Is it, what are the don't – they, don't they just say get the elephant yeah. or something? They just refer to it as the elephant. I don't really know like in real life what you would call that. But it's basically used for oxygen deprivation. They put a kink in the – the tube the tube yeah that feeds oxygen into the mask so that he starts to suffocate um i don't like this no it's pretty awful that is chrissy wake up chrissy wake up i don't like this (laughs) i don't like this (laughs) um and did think that also another torture method used by the russians is kamchatka itself it's freezing they give them inadequate clothing and yes mm-hmm. i didn't even think of that inadequate Ew. food inadequate clothing so yeah they're they're pretty much just breaking their spirit by the by the sheer will of kamchatka's climate i did appreciate the dual representation though right it's not just russia using torture methods yeah. we see the united states using torture methods so i i did appreciate that we saw the dual activity Yeah, I agree. I feel like a lot of times Russia is sort of just like the big bad wolf. Um, Mm -hmm. And a lot of these things, I mean, you know, at least in like Western media, we we see like Russia is scary and they're torturing people and they're, you know, so it was interesting to see that like portrayed for real. Yeah. And I know the Duffer brothers got heat after season three with the representation of the Russian characters. I know they got they got criticized for that. Yeah. So I, I think that it was important to show that these methods are used, encouraged. Yeah. You know, on both sides of the spectrum here. Oh, yeah. So um, after seven pages of notes, I think that means it's time to stop, right? We don't need to keep going. So I think what we have here is we did a nice overview of MK Ultra. We took our real life timeline and our Stranger Things timeline, which it wasn't until doing this episode that I realized that those were two separate timelines. The yeah. Stranger Things timeline does not exist in our time. Who knew? Who knew? Not me. No. I thought this was real. So I just, I think that being that Stranger Things is sort of a historical piece in its own way. It it's is. really important for us to elaborate on the history behind the references from the show. Yes. I did I did want to talk about one other thing before we wrap up. Yes. So, in season 4, the yes. the big the major overarching thing is mm-hmm. Vecna invading people's minds. Ooh, stop. <laughs> so, there's a lot of a lot of theorizing going on that drug use may actually play a part in this because Chrissy was buys drugs. Yeah, Chrissy was going to buy drugs to stop the visions and got taken right before she was able to take anything. And we do see at the end of season four, uh Argyle's in the woods picking mushrooms. 
Yes. And of course, we know Argyle and his habits. Um, so it's mm-hmm. it's pretty safe to assume what he's going to do with those mushrooms. But people are speculating that drug use and altering the mind may actually be a way to avoid ev- yeah. avoid being Vecnud. Mm. And, it, and it may have further implications too. But I did just want to bring that up because people have been talking about how drug use may actually play a part in the future of Stranger Things. If you had said this to me in season three, I would be like, oh, no, like, no, no, no. Definitely not. But in season four, I mean, we're getting kind of like the soft launch of drug use in the 80s with with, yeah. with marijuana. So I feel like it's possible that they might start alluding to that. Yeah, there was like a, and I, I mean, we obviously only did our season one overview. Like we haven't thought too deeply yet about themes of season four, but I think drug use is absolutely a theme oh, of yeah. season four. Yeah. Like, right off the bat, between Jonathan, between Chrissy and Eddie, and then you get Argyle. Like, it is definitely a theme. Oh, yeah. Big time. Love that. That was a... I didn't even think of that. That's so good. Thank you. Okay. Well, that's MK Ultra. I hope that made your day better. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Me too. I hope it made your, something. your drive more interesting, your day at work more interesting. I don't know. Whatever. That's when I listen to podcasts, so... Yeah. <laughs> Go down the rabbit hole. Go for it. If you are needing to do that. Mm-hmm. All um, right. And just like I said, don't forget to install your virus software. <laughs> yeah. It can be a little <laughs> sketchy out there. Yeah. All right. Well, in the meantime, stay, stay strange. strange. To keep in touch and stay informed about upcoming Starcourt Study Hall episodes, follow us on Twitter at SSHpod and on Instagram at Starcourt Study Hall. <laughs> <laughs>